Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Well, when we look at and think about the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're looking at it from the victory side. But take a moment to look at it from the other side, before the resurrection. The crucifixion looked like the end. It was devastating to those who were living then. It looked like the hopes and dreams of the prophets and the apostles were all dashed and all ruined. It looked like Satan had won. The evil had vanquished the good. The bad guys came out on top. The righteous had fallen in defeat. That's what it looked like. But we know the truth. It was the beginning of the greatest victory in history. We have redemption through His blood. And a gift of God of salvation and forgiveness and redemption and life and adopting into his family and a home in heaven because of what Jesus went through on the cross, but only because he didn't stay dead. All the other would-be saviors out there, the religious... Sorry. The religious leaders that called themselves saviors or set them up as saviors that people worship and follow, they're dead and still buried. Years ago, when I was uh, going to Bible college, I got a job in a hotel. It was a temp job uh, just to get me through for a while working in school, and I didn't know how temp it was. I got the job there, and I think like nine weeks later or something like that, I got laid off. Uh, they laid off 20 people, and I was one of the most recent hires, so I was, you know, last in, first out kind of thing. And, and, uh, but during those nine weeks, I got reassigned to a lunch thing, and I met a lady who was uh, from Asia, and she was raised Buddhist, and we talked at lunch. It was just the two of us. Everybody else went to a different lunch. But I had to man the phones in reception and that, and she had to man the phones in accounting. And so when everybody else was through with lunch, the two of us went to lunch. And it was in the, they, they fed us. It was cafeteria. But, uh, but we, so we got lunch and we sat together and we talked together and we t- talked about the similarities between Christianity and Buddhism. And there are some things that are similar, like show kindness to other people. Uh, Even the Bible teaches you not to abuse animals. We don't worship the animals like some people do, but we don't abuse them. But, But, you know, I told her there's a big, huge difference between Christianity and Buddhism. Buddha died, and he's still dead. Jesus died, and he rose from the grave. Well, after we talked for a couple of weeks, she ended up coming to our church. She ended up getting saved. She ended up getting baptized, and then I got laid off. (laughs) I think God put me there just to reach her. But aren't you glad we serve a risen Savior? 
That wasn't very good. Let's try that again. Aren't you glad we serve a risen Savior? All right. Now, uh, we're looking in Colossians chapter 1, as you see on the screen, redemption through his blood, but we're going to start out uh, looking at a prayer that Paul gave. But before the prayer, uh, last week I said this guy's name differently a couple of times. And if you look in verse 7, Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. Now, when I, I don't remember when I was a kid or a new Christian or in my church in California, one of those leaders and teachers and pastors called him Epaphras, Epaphras. And so I sometimes say Epaphras because that's what I heard back then. But the right way to say it is Epaphras. According to my Logos click, I clicked on the word and it says Epaphras. So uh, Epaphras, Epaphras, he was a servant, he was a faithful minister, probably pastoring the church there. And he declared to the people the teachings of Paul, and then he declared to Paul how God was working there in the church. Now notice that it calls him a faithful minister a faithful minister of Christ. Now, you are only a faithful minister if you're actually connecting with people. You're a faithful minister when you're in relationship with people. You're not ministering if you're not connecting with other people. And ministry requires relationship. And then... Uh, Paul goes on to tell him, because he heard this report from Epaphras, he's now uh, praying for them. He added them to his prayer list. So, you know, look around. If there's people in this room who are not on your prayer list, go up and ask them after church, hey, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Maybe they'll tell you there's something you can pray about, okay? <laughs> or, or not, but... Uh, it wouldn't hurt for you to pray for him, but you don't have, anyway. Verse 9, for this reason, Paul said, because we heard of your salvation, because we got this report from Epaphras, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask, and he's asking several things. He's saying, we're praying for you regularly, praying for you all the time. Now, I think one of the hypocrisies of Christianity is we say we're praying for you very glibly. But are we really? Can you imagine how massive Paul's prayer list was? I don't even know if he had it written down. He had an encyclopedic brain, so he probably didn't have to write him down. He just remembered and was praying for hundreds and hundreds of people and dozens of churches as he regularly, daily, took them before the Lord in prayer. So he says, here's my prayer, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now it goes on, but let's just pause there. The desire, the yearning of Paul's heart, he says in, in verse 9, this, for this reason, this is what I'm doing, and I'm not ceasing to pray for you, and I want you to experience this. And, and this is the yearning of his heart. He wanted them to be filled. Now, to be filled, is this water bottle now filled? No. 
It's got a gap there. There's some it's not filled. Now, was it filled when I opened it this morning? No, it was not. Because when you open it, there's a little air pocket in there. Otherwise, when you take the lid off, water spills all over, unless you've got way better balance than I do. But to be filled is to be filled all the way up. Now, when we were kids, and my dad said, pour me a glass of tea, You'd sit it on the table and you'd pour it, and he wouldn't consider it full until it was cresting the glass. You know what you can do when you get tea, uh, get it just up to the top, and you do just a little bit more than the top, and there's a tiny little liquid bubble that's hold, held in place. And then dad would make a big deal of picking it up, getting it all the way to his mouth without spilling, and then he'd chug the whole thing down. But it wasn't full unless that bubble was over the top. Now this is the kind of fullness that God or Paul wants these people to have. To be filled completely and generously filled. He wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. The learning and understanding of God's will. Now, What's the primary way that we learn God's will today? From the Scripture. Studying the Word of God, learning it. You can do that by coming and hearing it preached. At uh, 9.30 this morning, we had Bible classes teaching God's Word uh, uh, very effectively, communicating God's truths to help change lives. We we have, you can take it home, you can study, you can look it up on your computer. Uh, there's all kinds of apps, some of them free, where you can get Bible study apps. You got to be careful, some of them aren't very good, uh, but there's a lot of great stuff out there. You can learn, you can grow, you can study, you can learn. But we also have the Holy Spirit who helps us understand it. He shows us and reveals God's will to us. So we we can do what his prayer was, to be filled with the knowledge of his will. The more we learn of God's word, the more we listen to God's ways, the more we know what he wants us to do in specific circumstances. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to describe for you exactly how to do everything in your life, but you're going to learn principles that will fit every area of your life. You're going to learn you're going to grow. So to be filled with the knowledge of, of his will. Now, <laughs> there was a kid who said to his dad after church, he said, Dad, I don't understand. You told me you have a will in case you die, how things are going to be taken care of. So does God have a will because he thinks he's going to die? Now, when we talk about God's will, it's about his purpose his plans, his desires. He wills things to be what he wishes, what he wants. This is God's will. And now in God's sovereignty, God can accomplish anything. He's God. He can just speak and the creation exists. He can just say, let there be lights in the heavens. And there's... <laughs> I can't say the right word. There's trillions and trillions of stars out there. 
In fact, they've come up with a number that represents the estimate of scientists' best estimate of the stars, and it's like this long, typed in little itty-bitty font. And they can't, and then every now and then they get a new thing and they can look in a new area and they find more stars that they didn't know existed. And God said, let there be lights, and there were. So this God can accomplish anything, but God has chosen in his relationship with people to allow us to have some freedom. It's called limited free will. We can't go beyond the bounds that God has established, but we have limited free will. And so on a daily basis, you can make choices. You don't have to always do exactly what God wants you to do, but you can always do what God wants you to do. So he's saying, I want you to understand what God wants so that the decisions that you make on a daily basis can reflect what God desires in your heart and in your life. His will, God's desire what God desires to see in their lives. And then he adds, not just with the knowledge of his will, but in all wisdom. Now, wisdom is taking the knowledge that you have and the experience that you have and then putting it to good use. It's experience with common sense and, and with insight. How many of you have known somebody who could like get straight A's in school, but they had no common sense? Don't point at them, okay? Just, just acknowledge that you know who they are. There are some people like that. They, they can't take what they know and then make a decision. It always baffled me in math class. You could have these kids who are phenomenally good at all kinds of math stuff, and then you give them a verbal problem in math where they had to read out the problem and then figure out how to solve it, and they would just get blank. They could deal with any equation, no matter how difficult, but to actually put it into daily use, they couldn't do it. And so Paul said, I don't want you to have a head knowledge of God's will. I don't want you to have a little bit of understanding. I want you to be able to use it wisely. Now, how difficult is it to put a key in and turn a car on, put it in drive, and head down the road. Is that super difficult? No. But doesn't it take a lot of learning to be able to do it safely? And so when kids learn to drive, you start them out slowly. Even when Kathy had never driven a stick, and then we bought a car that had a stick, so she had to learn, and I'd take her to a parking lot at night. And and uh, so... Uh, I, she would get in the parking lot and she'd drive around the parking lot and learn to do the stick and, and then she took it out on the road and then eventually she took it out and you know now she can drive semis if she wanted to. But uh, she, she learned it, it takes, but it takes a while. You have to fit it together. And so Paul said, this is what I want you to do with the knowledge that you get from God's Word. So what you learn from God's Word and the leading of the Spirit, then you can fit it together and make decisions that are good decisions in your life. We all need that kind of wisdom. That's what he was praying for them. And then he says, 
with wisdom and spiritual understanding. This is seeing the world from a biblical worldview. There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who don't view the world the way God views the world. There's Christians saying, God's all okay with whatever. Well, God's okay with some of whatever, but God has rules and God has boundaries that he has established. And when we cross those boundaries, God's not okay. There was a Christian writer who wrote Christian songs and then he left his wife and got involved in a relationship that was the exact opposite of what the Bible said he should do. And he said, but God loves me just the way I am. Does God love you just the way you are? Yes. Does he want you to stay that way? No. Does he love everything you do? No. Your mama doesn't love everything you do. Why do you think God would? So we need to have the scriptures and the Holy Spirit guide our hearts and minds so that we can understand and then accurately determine and act on what God wants us to do. And then he adds, to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's verse 10. So walk worthy of the Lord. And when he says walk in the Bible, when it talks about walk, it's not just how you step. Like, does God want you to walk like this or kind of like this? You get a little cool walk. Or does he want you to moonwalk? I can't do that, but Kathy could get up here and show you. But, uh, but to walk is the way you live. It's your manner of life. It's worthy of the Lord. As God evaluates your life and God keeps score and keeps track of our lives, would you get an A? Would you get an A for paying attention when your parents are giving you rules? Would you give an A plus for, for uh, trying to witness for Christ out in the community? Uh, but you want to live in a way that God would approve. And then he says, not just approve, but fully pleasing him. Not just God saying, hey, you did a good job. But you want God to say, AJ, A plus, great job. That's what you want God to say. Well, if you're AJ anyway. If God says to Dan, AJ, great job. Dan will like, huh? All right, sorry. Fully pleasing him. We need to behave in a way that God is pleased. Now, Pause right there. If you're honest, you can think of ways this year God hasn't been pleased. And so what does God want you to do? Does he want you to beat yourself up over something from six weeks ago? He wants you to confess it, forsake it, and receive his forgiveness, and then press on. But look, 1 Kings 15 says, Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. 1 Kings 16, Omri did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Proverbs 5, the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all man's paths. Proverbs 15, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and on the good. So God is watching you right now. God's observing whether you're paying attention 
right now. God's observing, God's evaluating, God's encouraging you to learn and listen and and put that to use in your life because God's involved in your daily life. God didn't just send Jesus here to die so that someday you can be in heaven and be involved with him. He wants you to do it now, to walk with him. And being fruitful in every good work, producing actions and natural consequences uh, that are like our nature in Christ. Good work is, is moral excellence. Uh, so uh, we talk to our kids and grandkids about natural consequences of things. Uh, so there are certain natural consequences. Like if you forget to gas up and you drive down the road, what's going to happen? You're going to be out of gas. You're going to be on the side of the road. Hopefully, you can get to the side when you run out of gas. I had a friend whose car just suddenly died in the middle lane of a five-lane freeway, and he was stuck and couldn't go anywhere and sat terrified until a tow truck pulled him out of there. But you, you have to take steps. You have to make decisions. It's not automatic. To be fruitful in every good work takes effort. And there will be natural consequences when we obey and natural consequences when we don't. And then he adds in verse 10, or verse 11, or the end of verse 10, sorry, increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, don't be content. Seek to grow. Peter ended his, his instruction to the believers in the early church, telling them to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul wanted Timothy to bring him the books and the parchments. In 2 Timothy, Paul knows he's getting ready to die. But before he dies, he wants to grow. He wants to learn. He wants to get. He wants to receive. And so he said, bring me the study stuff so I can learn and I can grow. And then in verse 11, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Now, strengthen with all might means you're becoming stronger in the Lord and in your own abilities according to his glorious power. Paul didn't want them to have greater human ability. Paul doesn't want you just to be able to bench press 500 pounds. He wants you to be have real strength of character, strength of purpose, and physical strength is fine. Don't, don't belittle physical strength. But spiritual strength is way more important. Emotional strength is way more important. You need physical strength to, to have a good and healthy life. But Paul didn't want them just to have greater human abilities. He wanted them to be empowered by the very ability of God. As Jesus himself experienced on the cross in that final battle for our souls, Jesus endured it all because he had that spiritual strength. And so Paul's saying, that's what I want you guys to have so you can endure and then he says, for all patience and long-suffering. Now, we want God's power for deliverance, right? Oh, God, deliver me from this. 
you know, I've had this ongoing health issue for months, and I think this is month nine now, and then I, I'm going to have surgery coming up in July and hopefully get it corrected. Uh, but I really wish God would have just taken it away. I wish he still would. Right now, no, nope, didn't happen. But, but God doesn't always give us what we want, but he always gives us what we need. So he has given me the strength to be able to cope with it, to endure, and a wife who's very supportive and helpful. God wants us to have endurance and forbearance as we go through the difficulties, not necessarily to deliver us from the difficulties. And then he says, with joy. See, we have the joy of the Lord even in our trials. I remember uh, at camp a few years ago, I had driven our van up and uh, was working at camp with the kids. And then we had a smaller group of kids. They were riding in our van on the way back. And the van was full. It's fully loaded with all their stuff in the back. And, and then we got every seat's taken. And, and we got two flat tires. And so we got, finally got to the place where they're going to fix the tires. We had to wait for the tow truck, get towed in, and they're going to fix the tires. And, and uh, I walked in, and, and there was a customer there. And the customer says, two flat tires. Man, you're having a really bad day. And I said, no, I'm not. Every day's a great day when you walk with the Lord Jesus. And the guy behind the counter said, that's right. And the customer looked like we were weird. We weren't. He was. We knew the truth. He didn't. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance with the saints of light. Did you see that in verse 12? God has qualified you to be an inheritor. You deserve to be in God's family just as much as the Apostle Paul, just as much as all the prophets, just as much as anybody. We belong there. And then he focuses on God's deliverance, beginning in verse 13. He says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness, the power, the authority of darkness, of evil. Paul told the Ephesians that we used to be dead in trespasses and sins, that we walked according to Satan, the prince of the power of the air, and that our lives were characterized by disobedience and lust. That's how we used to live. But he's delivered us from that under the kingdom of the son of his love or the kingdom of his dear son. God has loved us and made a way of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, and he gave us a place in heaven with him. In whom, verse 14, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We have, we have redemption. It's already taken place. I don't have to wait for the redemption. I already have it. I've had it since the day I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. We have the redemption. It already is ours. And we have it through his blood. You have the full rights and privileges of the redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews says, without shedding of blood, there is no remission. 
Christ died on the cross paying the penalty for your sins and mine. If you trust and receive him as your savior, then you have the redemption. Now, some atheists argue that, well, Jesus was a human sacrifice. No, he wasn't. He died in the same way uh, a criminal would die, but he died innocent. He was paying the penalty for all the criminals and sinners like us. Jesus fulfilled the judicial decree of death for all who sinned. Peter described it this way, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Made alive by the Spirit. Uh, The forgiveness of sin, every sin forgiven in Christ. That's what he says at the end of verse 14, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 4.32, God in Christ forgave you. There was an old song that said, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Someone else wrote the hymn, Jesus paid it all. And he did. If you have your Bibles open to Colossians 1, look down in verse number 20. It says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, talking about Jesus Christ, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Having made peace is is the end of hostilities because the Bible says before you trust Christ as your Savior, you're actually an enemy of Christ. You're at odds. You're going against God's plan. Through the blood of his cross, he paid your debt in full. In full. You receive the rights and privileges as one of the redeemed, as a child of God. The cross was a planned part of God's redemption. When Jesus was on the cross, the disciples were bewildered. They were frustrated. They were terrified. God was not. God was proud of his son, proud of God the Son, Jesus Christ, suffering to pay the penalty for the sins of mankind. Jesus the Redeemer is also Jesus the Reconciler. He has reconciled us to God, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And we worship him forever and we will praise him forever for what he has done. Now, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say specifically, but I think that the scars that I have in my body will not be there in heaven. But the scars that Jesus has will be. In his resurrected body, he showed his hands and his feet to his disciples and he said, look, see the scars, see the penalty? There may be thorn prints still in his forehead from wearing that crown of thorns for us. And if we should see his back, 
we won't see his smooth back of a carpenter and builder in Jerusalem. I mean, in uh, Nazareth, we will see the scarred and battered back of a man who was crucified just outside Jerusalem. We will worship him forever and praise him for his glorious love. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.